Anxiety. A feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Or a nervous disorder characterized by a state of excessive uneasiness and apprehension, typically with compulsive behavior or panic attacks. This week, we're talking about anxiety and how the church has handled it in the past. I'm opening up about my personal struggle with this demon, and we talk about how maybe you could help or if you're going through anxiety, to let you know you're not alone. I hope you stick around and take a listen. This is The Reckless Pursuit, a podcast crafted and created to dive deep into what it looks like to be a follower of Christ in a modern day world. We span topics across the board to seek out truth and to gain a deeper understanding of one another, to find common ground and answers to life's hardest questions. We all have a story and a struggle, a calling and a conviction. Together, let's take a hard look at ourselves and effort to view what others see so we can be the best reflection of Christ possible. I'm Cody. And I'm Elaine. Now, let's get reckless. What does it mean to live? Is living the state of breathing? Does it simply mean your heart keeps beating? Or is living so much more than just being alive? Today we're talking about anxiety. Um, I know we've talked about fear. We've touched on it the previous episode, and we talked about it uh, two episodes ago when we talked about when Elaine was in the hospital. But this is more than just regular fear. This is whenever fear seems to almost dominate your daily life. I think that for Christians, it's hard to talk about this topic because... The Bible calls us to live above the fear, above the anxiety, but it's hard, especially whenever there's so many physical things, bad diet, caffeine intake, uh, lack of, of solitude and getting alone that can attribute to these things. There's chemical imbalances and, and life can just get you down. And so I want to share a little bit about my journey facing anxiety. This entire topic got brought up tonight while Elaine and I were driving home. And it's been about two weeks since you got out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be honest when I say I still have fear and phobia and uh, doubt and things like that come up. Thinking back on that, you know, still trying to get through some of the health obstacles, etc. You know, those things come up, but they don't just come up in a in a what seems to be a normal way. They come up in a nagging way, where it can look like I'm fine on the outside, but on the inside, it's like I'm living a double life. Like something else is going on in my head. The way I'm acting on the outside is completely different. And anxiety is one of those things where it it's kind of like water torture. It just slowly drips and drips in that same spot, wearing away what sanity you feel you have. Uh, some of us, honestly, feel like we kind of have the world out to get us. Um, I'm not exactly sure who it was in my family. I believe it was my great uncle. 
uh, went crazy. He believed that the roaches were taking over his house, and they told him to move all of his furniture on the front lawn. And when his wife came home, she saw all of their belongings sitting in the lawn. When she asked him what happened, he said, the roaches told me to move out, they're taking over. Uh, he also felt like he was dying, and so he went to bed for over a year. I believe it was close to a year and a half. He laid in bed waiting to die. He would only get up to go to the bathroom. His wife would have to bring him food to bed. She would have to try to convince him to go and bathe, and and she would have to basically baby him as he laid in bed waiting to die. One day, she was sitting there having her breakfast like she had become accustomed to doing, and all of a sudden he came in, walked in there with her, and sat down at the kitchen table for the first time in a year and a half. And she asked him, what are you doing out of bed? I thought you were sick. And he said, well, I've laid here for over a year and haven't died yet, so I guess I'm not going to. Six months later, he passed away. Now, some people may say, see, he knew. He knew he was dying. But the reality is he spent a year and a half of his life laying there waiting to die, convincing himself he was dying. And whether you believe this or not, maybe all that negativity attributed to it in some way. Maybe it, it actually did cause his body to just stop doing what it's supposed to do. And even if that's not the case, he spent the last year and a half of his life, or I guess a year and a half of the last two years of his life, laying there waiting on that moment that finally came one way or another. And that's what anxiety is. It's something that looms over you. It's something that makes you fear the future and all the different outcomes of it despite the reality that they're not even in existence. Because the past is history, the future doesn't exist, and all we really have is the moment we're in. But anxiety draws you out of that moment, and I think it's one of the few things that Satan can use to do that to us. It draws us away from the moment we're currently in, away from the reality of your wife sitting next to you, or your kids holding your hand, or or your time with your friends or family, and into a place of, of isolation, mental isolation, away from the reality that is reality, and away from where God has you, because you can't do what God has called you to do if you're not living in the moment he's given you. And Elaine, I'm sharing my heart here, so please feel free to chime in, because Elaine's dealt with me through some of my worst panic attacks and some of my darkest fears. Uh, to share a moment of my backstory, whenever I was young, I dealt with a lot of fear and anxiety. Like I said, I feel like that's been the thing I've fought with for most of my life. Whenever I was in second, third grade, so how would I have been, Elaine? Nine, eight or nine. Eight or nine. Um, yeah, eight or nine, ten, somewhere in that range. I had a 
Extreme phobia of the book of Revelation. One day in church we were reading about it. I heard about the Antichrist and the end of the world and the tribulation and all those things, and it terrified me. As a child, it absolutely spooked me to the point of of having uh, basically obsessive-compulsive disorder. I would sit in my room or wherever I was, uh, in the car or whatever, and I would hear these thoughts in my head saying, tell God to F off. I was a kid. I was a kid. Tell God to go, like, basically tell God to die. Tell him you don't want him anymore, and I'll leave you alone. And these were other voices. These were not my voice. And uh, take it for what you will, you know. I know this is a, a Christian podcast, and I know a lot of people get really weirded out by this. But I used to um, tell people that whenever I was a kid, some people said they were touched by an angel. I felt like I was touched by the opposite. I would hear voices in my head telling me to just accept the mark and die. Just give yourself over, give up, and give over and will quit tormenting you in your life. And these voices would rag on me day and night. They'd come to me in my dreams. They'd come to me whenever I was eating. My parents used to get mad at me because I would sit at the dinner table and as I would eat, I would mumble. And they had no idea what I was saying. They just said it sounded like I was just mumbling to myself. And finally, one day, I remember I was sitting in Mexico Chiquito in Jacksonville. My dad looked at me and said, Cody, when you eat, don't mumble. I don't know what you're saying to yourself, but you need to stop. What he didn't realize is what I was saying to myself, I didn't even realize. But I would literally be mumbling the things that these things were telling me. Or better yet, I would be trying to fight them to the point that I was physically having to have altercation with them and eating just so happened that I had to open my mouth to get the fork in. And you could hear the the groaning within me as I would fight these things. Many people in my family are on antidepressants. Uh, there's just, uh, it's a long history of anxiety and I truly feel that I've been under attack in my life. And I think that mental health and church are two things that are just, it's scary to talk about because there's a lot more to mental health than just spiritual, but at the same time, they're opposite sides of the same coin. Mental health is, is a spiritual battle and a physical battle, and it takes both. It takes both. So I want to address that and I want to say this, and then I want to give Elaine a chance to talk for a bit. So many people spend their days living in the past. They spend their days wallowing in previous filth or playing with past dead bodies, so to speak, and digging up past graves. But those of us who face anxiety, and I'd like to say that I have been told by a doctor that I should be on medication for anxiety, those of us with anxiety don't have an issue necessarily playing with the past. We don't have an issue digging up past graves. Our issue is we dig graves for the things that aren't even dead yet. And we bury our loved ones alive. We spend our moments, we spend our bad moments 
hoping for better days and we spend our better days in fear of the bad moments that will inevitably come. And it's as close to hell as one's brain can face because it is quite literally torment. And I can say from experience that a lake of fire sometimes doesn't sound so bad compared to the mental torment that it faces. That, that I've faced dealing with these thoughts that constantly weigh me down. But before I get into the rest of what I have to say and what the Bible has to say and how we can face this together and how the church can help face this, I want to give Elaine a second to talk a little bit about what it's like living with someone who deals with anxiety and how other people can be aware of, I guess, some of the keys to, to pay attention to whenever people are going into those that, that dark place of their mind and how to help and, and how to have patience. Well, being on the opposite side of things, um, I... I, for the most part, don't really struggle with anxiety or fear, um, at least not in a crippling way. Um, some of the anxieties that I've had in the past are like at the beginning of every semester of school, whether it was middle school, high school, college, as long as I can remember the last few weeks of summer, Christmas break, I would always have nightmares of going to the wrong class, failing exams, failing, failing the grade that I was in. And just that I was going to just be this huge failure and that I was going to be humiliated in front of all these people. And like, I just remember having nightmares and stuff. And now that I'm, I've just graduated college, I don't necessarily have those dreams anymore. Um, and of course, people um, graduating high school and then going into college isn't the anxiety of that, um, which is just, you know, normal stuff. But up until um, my stay at the hospital, I didn't really struggle with fear. I never struggled with, you know, the thought of death and the thought of dying. And it's, I just, I just don't have that. I, I don't struggle with that. Um, but it is hard to see your loved ones, especially your spouse, that you see every day, that you talk to every day, go through this. And sometimes it's hard because I can't relate and I don't know how to help you or how to, because in my head, I'm like, okay, well, just don't let fear happen. Like crush Satan, you know, like keep living your life. You can't let fear cripple you and take over your life and just ignore it. Let it go. And, and like I was, we were talking about this earlier, to most people, or to people who don't deal with this, you know, that's it's 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 almost hard to understand because people, most people are like, well, just let something go, you know, just don't think about it. But that's like telling a drug addict to not do drugs. It's like trying to tell um, an, a a bored eater not to go to the the that you know that donut whenever they're bored. It's it's trying to tell a smoker not to light one up whenever they're anxious. It's, it's literally, um, it's, I'm not going to say an addiction because I don't, I don't think it's, 
a choice people made to start having anxiety, but it, it really is a disease and an illness. It is a mental discrepancy. It is not natural. It is not the way man was intended to live. And so to tell someone just to not think about it or not worry is just going to, like, that is the most frustrating thing ever for someone who has anxiety. Because, like, let me share, for anyone who doesn't face anxiety, let me share with you what it's like. So people with anxiety don't want to overthink everything, but they do. People with anxiety don't want to have the fear of the what-ifs, but they do. And the thing is, where you may say, well, what if this happens? How would I prepare? People with anxiety say, basically, this has already happened in my reality. They take on the burden as if it's already happened, and they have to talk themselves back off the ledge, back into reality, out of the anxious world that they were in, and try to convince themselves the reality as it sits right now is not damned, but it is actually currently okay. And like like I said, how anxiety is one of the few things that I believe can can actually pull you out of the moment in a negative way and and take you somewhere else. It withdraws you from reality to the point that uh, reality isn't a thing anymore. And you have to actually try to try to find your way back. You're lost away from reality and you have to try to find your way back. It's not as easy as just, I don't want to think about that. That's silly. I'm not going to. It's quite literally, you have to, or you feel, people with anxiety feel, they have to logistically untie the knots and convince themselves that reality isn't going to hell in a handbasket and everything can be okay. And then they can live, you know, on a, semi-stable ground for the next moments, minutes, hours, days, until it happens again, and then the process repeats. And in those moments of living where things are okay, they fear the moments when things happen to set them back in that point. When the things are in that point, they struggle and strive just to try to get back to some kind of semi-stable ground. And people, like, I've spent hours praying, but I truly believe with anxiety, and this is just, we can kind of give one point of, like, a little bit of light to shine on this. Prayer, once you're in that place, is completely beneficial, but it's not as beneficial as preventative prayer, preventative meditation, preventative wellness. And I think with anxiety... It's almost something you can treat the symptom, and don't get me wrong, prayer is more than just treating a symptom, but you can treat the symptom when it arises, but the reality is you have to nip it before it gets to the place of being there. You have to nip it before it gets to the place of panic and hysteria, because if you don't, you know, you're already so close to the edge where it's it's almost seemingly hard like everything's working against you once you get too close to that edge you have to try to catch it before you get there and so that's why people who face anxiety are almost called to not really called they're forced to live a life of um almost a life that has a little more what's the word 
I guess a little more caring and like, uh, you know, living with a little bit more intent, I guess, so they can prevent these things from happening and be in the right mental state. You have to constantly fight to keep yourself in the right mental state because it's not as easy as, oh, well, I had this thing and that frustrated for me for a second, but I'm going to come back to reality. It's not that way. Once you're out of reality, it's almost like walking into the forest without a flashlight. You know, it's so easy to get lost. There is no compass. There is no bearings. Once you're out of that bubble of light, you are just in complete darkness, and it feels like you wander around forever aimlessly. So, Elaine, I'm going to ask you a couple questions real quick. Okay. What is it like, as someone who doesn't face the anxiety, to see and to deal with someone having a panic attack? Like a full-on panic attack, like the... Like me having to literally rip my shirt off because I feel like my V-neck's choking me to death. Panic attack. It's definitely not easy. Um, for me personally, I almost in those moments feel useless because I feel like no, no amount of good words or encouragement or upliftment or even scripture sometimes in those moments can do anything for you. Um, and so like... The only thing I know to do is just sit there and like help talk you through it or not even say anything, but just sit there and like hold your hand or rub your back or something because I literally don't know what else to do. Like you've heard me talk before about what's going on in my brain. How does that relate to you or how do you take that? Like when I tell you the irrational fears and all of those things, like what, what is that? How does that come across to you? Like, does it, like, I guess, how does it seem to you? Like, how does it just come across to you? I mean, it definitely sounds scary. And, like, it's just kind of hard to put myself in this situation. And, like, in in my head, like, I can tell that you're being um, spiritually attacked in those moments. And I have felt the weight of being spiritually attacked before. Um, and I know like what it's like to sometimes feel like Satan's just crushing you. And that's really the way that I would perceive what you're going through is that you feel like you can't get out of the situation. So, so with that, how do you, cause I just talked about how like you feel like you walk in the forest without a flashlight. How have you been able to with past experience with me been able to be that light to kind of lure me back to reality you know how have you been able to to kind of find me out in that dark place and hunt me down like what tactics do you use to hunt me down and pull me back into reality one of the biggest things is whenever you start to isolate yourself or not even physically you may still be in the same room with me but whenever you just kind of bog down and get quiet like, that's one of the ways, like, I can tell, like, something is wrong. Something's going on. Sometimes you're in the same room and sometimes you're not. But whenever you get quiet and you're on your phone, like, I know what you're looking at. Like, I know you're researching um, diseases and you're researching um, different bug bites and what you can attract and all this stuff and all your fears like, even if you don't tell me what's wrong, like, I can tell that there's something going on. And so how do you go about finding me in the middle? How do you approach me with that? Because, I tell you to put your phone down, for one. Well, yeah, but, like, that's 
how you don't say it just like that a lot of times like like what is the method you use to try to pull me back off the ledge like cuz i know sometimes you are forceful sometimes you kind of get in my face and say listen look at me stop focusing come back you know kind of snap back in reality here like focus like what's your tactic cuz there there is a sternness to it because it is a you know, it's fear driven. And so like there is a sternness to it, but there's also a love to it to keep from sending me further over the edge. So like kind of explain that. Well, I mean, I ask you what's on your mind. Like I make you tell me things. I make you tell me what's going on in your head, even if you can't even exactly put it into words or process it. And I feel like that is one of the starting points of explain trying to put into words of how you're feeling and trying to explain what's going on is one of the first steps out of that right so with all that being said to me there's a huge stigma with mental health in the church and i'd love to do a whole episode on mental health in the church um i'd like to do one of those pretty soon Actually, I have a guest in mind for that. Maybe we could, maybe we could pull that off next week and just kind of make like a whole block of like a, a fear month block here, and just kind of wrap it up with that fourth episode. So, tell me from a psychological standpoint, what is anxiety? Well, anxiety at the root of it looks different for everybody. Um, kind of how you had mentioned, like a bad diet, over caffeinated. Um, you're not spending time in prayer. You're isolating yourself. Um, like it's all fear driven and whatever that fear is, it's, you know, it's different to the individual. Right. Like for me, where I had the fear of revelation now lately, my fear has been more disease oriented. Some people, it may be a, a fear of, of heights or for some people, it may be anxiety of, of driving or like different things can send you down those different paths. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so how does a person or a Christian, specifically a Christian, face anxiety? Well, number one, just staying in prayer. But number two, this is something that we've addressed over and over and over and over again, is not isolating yourself. And it's okay to feel afraid about things, but it's not okay to stay afraid about things and Yes, pray pray to God to help you through whatever it is, whatever is bothering you, whatever you are anxious about, whatever you're worrying about, whatever you're fearing. You know, that's important. You know, stay in the Bible, you know, read scripture to help you. But at the same time, God has placed certain people in your life, whether that be your spouse, your parents, your best friends, elders in the church, you know, your mentors, somebody you met in the coffee shop, like you, God placed these people in your life for a reason. And one of those reasons is to talk about these things and telling people like, I am messed up in the head and I don't know who to talk to. I don't know how to go about this. I can't even explain to you how I feel or what I'm thinking, but I need help. And I think that's a lot of times we say, oh, just pray about it. But there's more to it. Like, right. You need to open up. You need to tell somebody, like, I I have no idea even how to talk about this, but I'm struggling with this. Right. 
And I think there are two main types of anxieties. I think there are the, and this is my take on this isn't psychological. This is just the Cody Johnston like take on this. But I think there are two major forms of anxiety. There's the locking up anxiety and the lashing out anxiety. The locking up anxiety is more what I face. It is the type where I bottle it up because I realize it's irrational. Like I know that tick bites can give diseases. I know that being around sick people can possibly get you sick. But I also know that no matter how many times you wash your hands, it's not going to prevent it. I realize that being sick is sadly an inevitable part of life. Some of us are going to get sick. It's no one's fault that you, Elaine, ended up in the hospital. It's part of life. And I can spend all of my moments fearing for that moment, but then I'm just living every moment as if it's already happened, and so I'm never content. And it's easy for me to bottle everything up because I realize to everyone else this seems so irrational. It seems so ridiculous, and so it makes me not want to express how I feel because I realize most people are going to look at me and be frustrated. I even feel that about trying to talk to you at times, and you're really good at talking to me through things, but I know it sometimes it can be frustrating because I realize I'm not dumb. You know, I'm like, it's, it's weird because I have the knowledge, I have the physical understanding of how I should not be in this mental state. I just don't know how to take that practicality and apply it to how my emotions are actually behaving. There's a separation from the brain and the emotion and the spirit, and I don't know how to make all of those behave together. The mighty, what is the, the mind, soul, and spirit, I don't know how to make all of those things cooperate together. They all want to run off and do their own thing. The spirit wants to tell me, Cody, you're being irrational we need to calm down the the soul the body is saying no this is exactly like i can't control how i feel i'm acting out on my emotions i'm behaving irrationally i'm panicking i'm bottling it up i'm anxious my heart's racing my limbs are aching i'm want to just go and distract myself and then the mind is trying to say like, listen, logistically, we understand this isn't probable, but I'm going to run all these other different directions and trying to make all of those line up together, trying to make the mind and the soul behave under the spirit the way it's supposed to be biblically is hard. It's so hard. And I think that this isn't for this episode, but you know, a lot of Christians are scared of medication. I personally don't feel like I need it where I'm at in life right now, but there's people in my family who do, who are very strong Christian people, and that's okay. There are people in your family that need it, and that's okay. There are people who need counseling, and that's okay. There are people that need meditation, and that's okay. And they need to watch their diet and do specific things, and that's okay. Well, I think everybody should watch their diet and meditate more and pray more. Absolutely, because I don't preventative. even think it's people who deal with crippling anxiety or just a little bit of anxiety or don't ever struggle with anxiety. Like I think everybody should have a healthier diet, have a healthier mindset, be aware of what they're allowing in their bodies, whether it's mentally, physically, spiritually, 
like be aware of what's going on around you. Yeah. And then to touch on real quick, um, the other, and this is not me, and so I can only just touch from just, you know, other people that have faced this that I know, but there's the lashing out anxiety, and that's where, as to where I bottle it all up, other people take it to the extreme and lash it out on whoever is nearby and just release it as anger, where mine takes over as fear. It comes out in the form of anger to someone else, but it's still the same, the same thing, just it's projected either inwardly or outwardly. And both need to be able to sit down and have counsel and wise counsel and wise guidance and be able to express how they feel as to where I need to be able to express it and not feel condemned. The person who may have the the lash out instead of the lock-in variety may need to be able to express it and not feel as if they are on the defense, if that makes sense. Like, or having to be on the offense. I feel like I'm on the defense. They feel like they have to be on the offense, but we both have to come to realize like we're facing something that requires an open mind and an open heart to filter through. And uh, I do want to make this declaration real quick. This is actually the background on my phone. And it is 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so, biblically, fear, anxiety, is not of God. Yes, there are mental discrepancies. There are chemical imbalances. But just as disease is not of God, sin brought death into the world, mental illness is not of God. God made our minds perfect and whole. And in our lives, this is the struggle we face. This is the weak link that Satan has found to try to worm his way in. And so if you know you have a weak link, you have to take care of it. If you see rust forming, you have to clean it up. You have to polish it. You have to maintain it. And those of us that face anxiety need to realize we have got to be proactive in facing this before we get to that point. I'm realizing this right now. I'm not preaching to you. I'm talking to myself as someone who was literally facing a bit of anxiety tonight. We've got to take care of it before it takes care of us, so to speak. We've got to take our time in the mornings, first thing, to give it to God, to give our time to being quiet and still, read his word and be still and listen, meditate on his thoughts, meditate on his precepts. We've got to take the time to talk whenever we start having those thoughts with someone we trust. We've got to take the time to pray. And to give our days over to God in advance. Because if we don't, sooner or later the days will get the better of us. And just as someone who faces with lust has to deal with those things in advance, they have to be careful what sites they go on, what they look at. We have to be careful what we allow into our hearts. 
those of us with anxiety. And whatever it is that triggers that anxiety, we have to realize that we have to face it. But we don't have to do it alone. And that's the biggest thing to realize of all this, is if you're facing anxiety, you're not alone. If you are a Christian who feels crazy, who feels like they're living out of touch with God and in a dark place because they keep forgetting to bring their flashlight, if you feel like you're letting God down because you're living in fear and you don't want to be there, but you just can't help it, you're not alone. And I'm not even going to go as far as to say you're living in sin because I think that you're trying. If you don't want it, you're trying. And you have to realize this isn't sin. This is a spiritual attack. Yes, there are many things that can trigger it. And we have to address those triggers. We have to address the, the dark places before we get there. You know, install some street lamps, so to speak, some safe points, some some fail-safes, whether that be accountability partners and prayer time, meditation, and good dieting, and cutting out the caffeine, which I'm super guilty of. I drink way too much caffeine, which is a big attribute to uh, anxiety. We have to cut those things out and, and get those things in check, but it is a spiritual attack, whether it be a chemical imbalance or just a spiritual imbalance. It is a spiritual attack. And for those of you who don't struggle with this, if you're someone's accountability partner, if you're trying to be there for someone, be firm and be loving. Don't get frustrated because I promise you the person dealing with the anxiety realizes that they seem crazy. They're telling themselves that over and over and over. And if you get mad or frustrated at them, it's just going to draw them deeper into their shell. You have to be firm with them and, and address it and say, listen, you have got to fight this. You have got to come back to reality. Let's get through this. Tell me what you're feeling. But then you have to be loving and say, but I love you. You're not in trouble. This is just a moment you're having to face, and let's be strong together. Elaine, what would you tell someone facing anxiety right now? As somebody on the opposite side, hearing all this, or specifically hearing the anxieties that you struggle with, um, I think the number one thing that I would tell people is that they're not crazy. And that they're not alone. They're not the only one fighting this stuff. And even as somebody who can't understand it, who can't even begin to put themselves in that person's shoes, that doesn't mean that they don't or that they can't be there for you and that they can't sympathize with you and that they can't just even sit there in silence or encourage them. At least I don't think people with anxiety or fear are crazy. And what would you tell someone like you that's on the opposite side who is trying to be there for someone who is struggling with anxiety? 
I'd probably tell them to make sure that they never made someone feel like they were crazy. Yeah. And to always be that encourager and be that light and be that firmness for whomever that person is, whether that is your spouse or your parents or your best friend or, you know, somebody in church. If you are somebody's accountability partner, never make that person feel that they're crazy and to always love them. And like you said, be firm always, but also always show love. You know, I imprinted this off for me, and it's something that I try to read every day. Uh, I have something I read at night that I'm a little better at reading, but this is something I try to read daily, at least every other day. And it's Matthew 6, 25 through 34. And I'm going to read it to you. And I'm going to read it to you, and don't take it as a condemnation, but try to use it as an anchor point, uh, anchor point to bring you back whenever you're facing this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And this is my favorite Bible verse, because it's the one that I need to hear the most. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God has promised us a life outside of anxiety. We just have to be willing to fight for it. There are physical things we can do. There are people we can talk to. There is counseling. There's meditation. Yes, there's medication. There's essential, holistic things you can do. There are spiritual things you can do. And it's going to take a combination of all of those. But you're not alone. I'm not going to take the time to close this episode out talking about all the different places you can find us. But I am going to tell you this. If you need to talk, go to the show notes below. Find one of those places and come find us. Send us a private message. Do something and we're going to respond to you. If you're someone facing anxiety, I'm going to respond to you. If you're someone dealing with someone facing anxiety, Elaine's going to respond to you. And we're going to do our best to try to help. You're not alone in this fight. 
And you need to realize that as someone with anxiety and who has fought and been victorious numerous times, and every time it comes back up, I'm going to continue to fight, you're not alone. And if you're someone dealing with someone who's facing this, you're not alone either. You're not crazy. They're not crazy. You're just under attack. And you got to take care of that weak link. You got to get strong. You got to fortify it. Because the enemy is going to try to knock us down. Guys, we have a community group where there are some amazing people on there who would love to talk to you openly. Not just Elaine and I, but there's a group of people. You can find that information below too. And I'm not telling you this because I just want numbers or engagement. I don't care about those things. I just want you to realize that you have someone in your court because I know I need someone in mine. You guys are prayed for and loved. Be brave, be bold, and be reckless. We'll talk to you soon.